Before we get rolling for this week's FitSpeak 34, a final reminder about the Dynamic Race Events F2C Contest, where you can win a canister of F2C 3-to-1 Rehab Formula, as well as an entry to the Wine Capital of Canada Triathlon on Saturday, May 2nd in Oliver. Go to the FitSpeak Facebook page to enter. And welcome to FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's only wellness, fitness, and endurance sports podcast. I'm Kevin Hines along with Zach Neufeld. We're brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. Race season is here and it's never too late to get started. TriJoy can help. We offer in-person goal consultations, personalized and effective training plans to help you get to your finish line. Start with TriJoy. See the link at the bottom of the page to get things rolling. We're also brought to you by Wenting Cycling Mission. Here is your Wenting's word of the week. It is carbon. Mention that word to any of the staff at Wenting's and you'll win a prize. It's just that easy. Once again, your Wenting's word of the week, carbon. On our program today, we have another installment of Between the Ears with Zach Neufeld. We have part three of Vince Speaks. But to start off the show, an interview with Peg Peters. He's the organizer of the Abbotsford's Run for Water, and now, as we find out, the Ride for Water as well. Peg, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. It's going to be great. First of all, uh, Peg, uh, thank you so much for your time. You must be a busy guy at this time of year. Maybe you could tell us, uh, you can get started by telling us a little bit about the history of the Run for Water. Sure. Uh, yeah, Run for Water. This is our eleventh year uh, in uh, in running these events. What we do is uh, we are a local event started in Abbotsford, and we started a, a race, a running race. My friend Ken and I came up with the idea of saying, "Hey, let's start a race in Abbotsford." There's nothing really out in the valley. We started a race. We wanted to connect connect with a charity and do some kind of good with it, and then came across and started to understand the issue of the water crisis on our planet. And uh, I, I began to do some research and realized that particularly, you know, girls in the developing world, they have to walk four to six hours a day to get water that's full of bacteria and disease. And uh, particularly places like sub-Saharan Africa and then particularly Ethiopia, which is our focus. I actually lived in Ethiopia when I was a kid for three years. My, my dad was a teacher. And so when I was a little kid, I just got a kind of taste of that culture and the people fell in love with it and then as I grew up I always kind of wanted to reconnect that part of my heart and uh, so when we started the race uh, we said hey let's do clean water projects in Ethiopia and and help people get access to clean water I've got four daughters and so uh, I, I I'm all about empowering girls and so water has a direct connection between uh, you bring water to a community and you empower the girls to go to school and they can change the community and that I saw firsthand after I made my first visit there about 10 years ago. So that's what we started with, uh, 11 years running now, and we've got uh, a race. We have about 5,000 people in the race now, and we do a trail race as well, uh, and which is a cool you know, a cool way to get out in the mountains and, and run up, up here on Sumas Mountain. And then we also just added a ride event this year called Ride for Water, which is out in the Chilliwack Valley, and it's a long-distance ultra ride called kind of gravel riding. Gravel riding, uh, okay. Gravel riding, yeah, it's not mountain biking and it's not road racing. It's it's a cross between the two. It's kind of uh, logging roads and beautiful single track flat trails, 
that, uh, you know, no cars, but beautiful area. So those are the events we've got, and we're, yeah, we've, we've raised over $2.5 million in the last 10 years and uh, helped over 100,000 people get clean water. So it's, we're, we're really excited about uh, how this thing has come together. That's a pretty amazing track record. Uh, just backstepping a little bit, you were talking about the gravel race. Now, we've had uh, one of our FitSpeak spies, actually my co-host Kevin Watt, looking at the profile of the race course, or I guess uh, the, the ride for gravel, the ride for water, and he says it's a pretty pretty gnarly course. Do you want to elaborate yeah. on that a little bit? Yeah, so... You know, our race director, Matt Scott, is a passionate rider. and uh, uh, Not Matt knows. Scott. Oh, my goodness. He's just bad <laughs> news. He's done everything. I know. The guy's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, he came on as our race director this year for a ride event. And we're so lucky to have him because he's got a passion for trail building and he has a passion for riding. And, and he, he's realized, like a lot, a, lot of, uh, a lot of riders out there, that, you know, some people don't want to be on the road. Their cars and that kind of the traffic, they want to get off that. But they don't want necessarily the technical downhill that often comes with, you know, mountain biking. So this called gravel riding or gravel grinding is that middle, that kind of that niche in the middle. You get long distance rides like ours is going to be 150k. We also have a 50k version, uh, and uh, and that's a bit. Yeah, it's a good opportunity for people to get if they want to try it. You can try the 50k, get out there for three hours, and and get out there. So you've got a little bit of road a little flat road as you go out along Chilliwack uh, River, and then you get up into some of the mountains all, along there through gravel through gravel roads, and you get some vistas, some beautiful, like I was up there on the weekend, we were, we were marking that out and checking it out. I mean, I'm stopping, and, and I'm, it's, it's hard to believe that we live where we live. In that Chilliwack Valley, you're seeing Mount Shiam on the backside, snow-capped peaks, beautiful rivers, Ch- uh, Chilliwack Lake, I mean, there's nothing like it in the world, and uh, because it's hard to find that kind of distance that's flat through old growth forest, you just don't get it anywhere. But we've got it here in BC in the in the Lower Mainland, so we're pretty excited to show. You know, probably what's going to be about 150 riders. Uh-huh. What's going to be one of the nicest courses they've ever ridden in their life. Uh, yes, it's got some elevation. There's some good climbs there, um, but the reward for the beauty of being out in nature uh, is going to be, you know, is going to be like uh, unsurpassed. And then, you know, and it's all for a great cause. Absolutely. All of the money, all of the money that they are registering will go to give a family clean water. Each rider represents an entire family in a village in Ethiopia that will get clean water. So we're, that's, we're pretty, pretty pumped. It's pretty cool when you can have a nice, tangible benefit like that for every rider. You have the clean water supply. Yeah, no, it's really cool. And one of the things about Run for Water that when we started, um, you know, and it's still true today, we've got two, I'm part-time, and I've got another person, her name's Jerusalem, she's from Ethiopia, and she's now lives in Canada. We've pulled her on, on our team. So, and we've got a few others, but we, right from the get-go, we do not want a charity. We're have, we have to fundraise for overhead. So our board pays our entire overhead. They pay all the office costs, kind of compensation so that when we go to a school, an elementary school or whoever, and we say, hey, donate to clean water, 100% of every dollar is going directly to Ethiopia, to the community that needs it. And that's really cool. You know, I'm, I'm really proud of that. 
Absolutely. Now, for a person who's listening to the interview and they, you know, maybe put on a few miles on their road bike or their mountain bike and they're looking at this distance, this this gravel ride, and they're thinking, yeah. well, maybe I could go the distance, but, you know, if it's an average average day out there in the valley, it could get kind of hot and they could get kind of thirsty. So um, what's the uh, protocol as far as aid stations? Is it a self-supported yeah. ride or? Well, you know, we always tell people, you know, uh, for, for gravel riding, you, 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 we encourage you to pack your bike with, you know, uh, a, your bottles. Get have two, maybe two, three bottle holders on there, and, and then probably a, a pack on your back with water and treats. Um, and so we say, you know, but we do have eight stations. We have actually five eight stations on the big course, and then we have two on the small. So, you know, if you think, okay, 50K, that's, that's going to take minimum three hours for most people because we do have a little bit of an elevation. It's not just... Uh, flat on a road mm-hmm. but you know it, it, you're, you're gonna hit a, you're gonna hit an aid station at, you know 10 15k in and then again another one at probably 35 in and uh, so you can get some you know nutrition couple of bars protein bars uh you know and whatever you need for your for you know for your energy um and then i we always tell people make sure you pack a tube uh and a, and a pump because you know you're on a gravel ride you're going to be hitting some rocks and whatever you might get a flat tire so if this isn't like you know you're out with your you know, with your mom and dad on a stroll around the park. This is this is uh, you're getting out there in a bit of the wilderness and you have to be prepared, right? So we have uh, we have aid stations and we've got people combing the entire course to make sure that everyone's safe. So we've got you know strategies for uh, if someone gets uh, you know falls off their bike and needs some to need some help. We've got uh, medical staff all on the course, so everyone's going to be fine. But yeah, we say hey, make sure you bring bring lots of water and lots of nutrition and uh, make sure you've got the right kind of gear, right? You know, you don't want, you can't be riding this kind of course with slick tires. Okay. You need, you need a bit fat. You want fat tires to ride this because you want it to have, you want to be able to get on you on a gravel road. You want it to be hard, like a, you know, an 80 pound uh, per square inch tire. You want something like 40 pressure or something like that with a bit wider tire that you can fit on a frame. And so, yeah, there's lots of options there. We've got, Life Cycles as our local sponsor. If you have any questions, Harv at Life Cycles can help you out there, and and he can fit your bike to to make this thing doable for you. Yeah, we want to make the experience as positive as possible for the riders, yeah. and and by having uh, Matt Scott involved, a longtime uh, advocate of FitSpeak and everything gravel around the valley, I think the the participants there are going to be in pretty good hands. So, for a person oh, yeah. who's interested in doing either the riding aspect of it or the running, the traditional aspect of it, could you remind our listeners of the dates again for this year? Yes. So the gravel ride is on May fifth, Saturday, May fifth. Uh, and uh, it's uh, we actually are starting to finish is that old year of brewing in Chilliwack. They're an awesome host. They came, they come out as one of our sponsors, and they've actually done something really cool. You know, it's you always love it when a sponsor gets excited about it and says, "Hey, what if we did this?" And so what they decided to do was they said, "Let's not just do a start finish here. Let's put on a party." So they've invited about five or six breweries, and they're doing a, a cask festival on the same day. Ah, so neat. You, yeah, so we've got food trucks, we've got five or six breweries we'll have, and so, and they're, they're doing a dollar per pint, goes back to run for water, uh, and each of the breweries are donating. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a great time. There's going to be live music the whole day. So even if you're not riding, come out probably around 11.30 or 12 when the kind of the bulk of the riders are going to start showing up. 
Mm-hmm. There'll be live music. There'll be beer. There's a beer garden. Uh, it's there's tents up. So you know it's a party, and that's what's great. So everyone can have a fun time and make it for a good cause. So that's May fifth out at uh, out at Old Yale Brewing. Uh, you can always check it out at rideforwater.ca. More information. And then our run is on May twenty seventh, which is a Sunday, and that's at uh, Mill Lake Park in Abbotsford. And that's a fi- there's a five k family run. There's a 10K, and then there's a half marathon as well. And uh, that's always great because it starts and finishes in the park at Mill Lake, and it's it's a really great atmosphere. Unlike a lot of races, our, ours, uh, we, we made a park. It's all in the grass area, and it finishes and kind of finishes into this beautiful grass park where there's, like, especially for families, there's petting zoos, there's, like, bouncy castles, there's, you know, face painting and, cotton candy you know it's like a party it's more of a party right so it's hard to do that in these big races but ours still has that kind of vibe and so you can really have a great time as a family there and then there's a trail race on the saturday may 26th and that is there's a 10 a 25 and a 50k ultra and the 50k starts at 5 a.m in the morning and it's uh the vertical on that one is insane it's something like uh I forget right now, but I think it's 2,000 meters of, of vertical gain on foot. So it's it's very aggressive, but uh, we're excited about the, the people that are going to make that happen this year. Absolutely. And once again, aid stations on that big ultra for the uh, Sumas Mountain event? Yes, there's five of them. Uh, and so we'll have both water. Uh, we'll have also, uh, you know, kind of like a, a Gatorade type product. And then we'll also have everything from uh, bars. Uh, you know, bananas and chips and things that you can kind of grab and keep going. You can stuff in your fanny pack or your, your, your saddlebag there and, um, you know, grab a couple of bars and keep going. Grab a package of nuts or, or some fruit and, and keep riding. But we'll definitely have, uh, you know, lots of liquids and, and uh, aid stations there. So, yeah, it's going to be, I mean, there's some guys that are going to be coming in probably around six hours or so, six, seven hours. Uh, but I think the bulk of our riders will be coming in around eight, nine. Yes. Um, and, and that's a, and, and, you know, that's, there's some serious climbs and some serious distance, but, uh, but you know what, they are going to come, they're going to come back and say that is one of the most gorgeous, uh, gorgeous rides they've ever done in their life. And we're talking about the run here at Sumas, right? Yeah. So that's, oh, sorry. That's the Sumas. Yeah. We have, oh, sorry. I got confused there. I thought you were talking about the ride. You're, you're still now. in the single track. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, man. Um, yeah, so the, the, our, our ultra event on uh, May 26th, which is the, the trail race, the running trail, uh, yes, lots of aid stations there as well. Um, and we've got great support for our runners. Uh, cheering sections, it's going into its third year. Uh, we'll have, uh, I think we're, we're, I'm, we're hoping for about 250 runners this year. So we're, we're pretty excited about uh, the turnout for the trail race as well. So you've been with the Run for Water since uh, day one, correct? Yeah. So my again, uh, Ken and I was uh, my friend. Ken and I started it and uh, just got a passion, you know. And I think, you know, yes, I loved running. I'm, I'm a runner and I, and I really enjoy it. But I, I think what really hooked me uh, is when I went to Ethiopia for the first time. I took my daughter; she was 12 at the time, and. Um, I said, hey, let's go, let's go to Ethiopia and see the difference that, that you know, clean water makes and, and how, it, how it changes people's lives. And so we went there, we actually camped in the village and met these, you know, she met a little girl who was 12. And uh, while we were there, 
we went on a water walk, which is a typical thing that these girls do every day. Mm-hmm. And, and it was it was excruciatingly hot. And this girl is carrying, a, you know, she's 12. She's carrying a 40-pound jerry can on her back with ropes. And, you know, it was just grueling to watch how, how long it takes, how often they have to do it. And then the, the quality of the water they're getting from these, these open-source contaminated ponds. Uh, is just it's it's awful, right? And so when when we saw that, you know, I I was just uh, I said I said to my daughter, I said, Tess, like, there's no kid on the planet should ever have to live like this. Like we we are so lucky in Canada, you know, we've got so much the best country in the world to live in, yeah. And and we have incredible access to resources like water, and for something so basic like water, that the UN have declared that a human right, that every human should access to should have access to clean water. And it only costs $35. That's really what it is. $35 brings one person clean water for life. So I'm like, man, I said to my daughter, I'm going back and I'm changed. Like, I want to do everything I can to make that water success. So I volunteered for the first eight years. And you know, I had a job. I'm a, I'm a video marketer. So I have my own company. But in the last two years, our board has asked me to come on board and, and really give some more leadership to the organization as executive director. And, and really see it grow. So we, we've been really fortunate to be able to see that growth. But, uh, you know, we take two trips a year to Ethiopia, and we bring people with us because, to me, I want full transparency. I want to be able to say to anyone, hey, if you don't need to run for water, you have every right to go and come with us on a trip to Ethiopia and see where you, what the difference your money is making, see where it goes, because I'm, I'm really proud to be able to trace every dollar to the exact community where it goes. Yeah, so there's no uh, hidden uh, skimming or anything no. like that. No. And we were uh, a couple of Fitspeak episodes back. We were speaking with uh, Charlotte Lepp from Lepp's Market, of course. Oh, and cool. she yeah, was saying yeah. what a transformative experience that was for her to travel to Ethiopia and see firsthand, you know, number one, how the people were living. But number two, how the funding from the Run for Water is actually contributing in a meaningful way to the people in that community. Yeah, you know, and that's that's the home run. You know, a person like like Sean and Rob, her husband, you know, they they go on a trip like this, and and it all of a sudden they go, oh my goodness, like this, you're actually doing what you say you do, and it it's it's such a simple thing, drill a well, and it'll change the whole community. They saw it firsthand. They come back with excitement. They put on a fundraiser, you know, they with their friends, and they raise thousands of dollars. I mean, that that's really cool. Yeah, and so um, yeah, I always tell people, hey. You want to you want to have a life changing experience? Well, put it on your bucket list. Uh, you know, go to Ethiopia and, and meet you know meet people and camp in a community and get to know get to know these people's lives. It's pretty cool. Well, thank you so much for your time, Peg. Well, hey, thanks a lot for taking an interest in this, and uh, I love what you guys are doing, and I appreciate all the support that you did give us. And we'll uh, make sure to have a link on our website to both the Ride for Gravel and the Run for Gravel. That sounds like a, a pretty, and like you were saying, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful, you know, fundraiser, but it's also, if you show up, it's a party for, you know, not only the people who are doing it, but also the spectators. You got a lot of other action going on. So yeah. best of success. Yeah. So thanks so much. So rideforwater.ca or runforwater.ca. Your choice and you're going to find all the information you need. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks a lot, Peg. Thanks. Bye for now. There's a lot of ways you could describe Abbotsford's Vince D'Amato. Web developer, entrepreneur, pro soccer player, dad, singer, social activist, elite triathlete... 
In his 50 years on the planet, Vince has done many, many things. And in our new Fit Speak series, we'll get a chance to learn about this multifaceted guy. In our third installment, Vince tells us about his amazing but short-lived career as a professional soccer player. We also find out about his early career plans and his introduction to the sport of triathlon. This is Vince Speaks. There's always lots of great stories, and I, they're kind of weird a little bit out of context. I mean, I had my moment with Pelé. I had my first professional game, if you, you want to call it that. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the number one thing that comes to memory after that is the day when it ended, actually. So it, it, it's certainly not a highlight, but... Um, this is one hell of a smooth segue, Vince. You like that? I like that. <laughs> well... I, I actually do look at it as a highlight. Mm. It was the uh, end of the soccer career. But again, you know, I talking about contextualizing it, um, it wasn't my first injury. So uh, it was my seventh ankle injury. And at the age of? I'm, I'm not even 18. Oh. I'm not even 18 years old. And um, it, it, it wasn't without warning. I have a, just a slight little twist in the bones of my foot that make me prone to rolling to the outside. But for many years, from, from the time I was about 13, I wore these little prosthetic supports, ankle booties inside my boots. And it, it affected my mobility. Uh, but uh, I, I just I learned to live with those. Uh, but the very last one was was just bad timing. Um, I did end up 16 weeks on crutches and then a cane for six weeks or so. Uh, um, but it wasn't the injury. I'd had all of those injuries. I was on crutches and, and had a long rehab. But it was one that was so public that anybody that wanted to have me play soccer for them or ever thought that I was a good player mm-hmm. now looked at me as a liability. Mm-hmm. And um, why I look at it as a highlight at the moment, it, was, it threw me into a great depression. I, you know, my, I, I spent three years trying to rehab, tried to make a comeback at 21, and I, I'm compressing a few years in there. But um, what are you doing to eat at this time? What's the paycheck? Oh, well, I, I um, was one of the luckiest. So after a, a string of, you know, horrible jobs, really, I mean, who has a good job when they're. 15 16 years old and Zuckerman and, I don't know <laughs> yeah uh, but I, I had minimum wage jobs mm-hmm. and then I, I on a dare I'm 18 years old uh, and I was this injury had occurred and I'm beginning my rehab and um, so I need a job I'm I'm just I'm a year into going to Simon Fraser University um, uh, my major there was kinesiology and I thought that would be good because it would help me heal myself. I could look after myself a little bit as well. And yeah, just like some people get into psychology too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Physician heal thyself. Mm. Yeah. Um, but somebody said, you know, um, you're, you're a, you're a ham. Why don't you go and apply to be a waiter at the keg? And uh, so I know you might have listeners from all over, but in, <laughs> The 80s, the keg restaurant, the steakhouse here, uh, it was all across Canada, but primarily located here in, in the British Columbia, Lower Mainland area. It started here. Not um, in Vanderhoof. Not in Vanderhoof. Mm. No, uh, no, not in Vanderhoof. Um, but it was the place. It was the party central. It was the place. People went three hours to have a dinner at the keg in those days. 
And um, I got hired, uh, but then spent a year washing dishes um, <laughs> before I finally escaped and, and got to be a waiter. But but when a waiter there made a, 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 a lot of dollars in those days. So I was lucky that it made enough money where I could pay my way through university without any debt and I could <clears throat> live on my own. It really was a wonderfully carefree existence. And it it, it made me stay in university for eight years. My goodness. <laughs> Good paying gig. It, it, it really was. And, you know, and I was a lost soul. I, I, um, I thought I was going to be a soccer player for my whole life. And when that ended before it really got started, I had no idea what I wanted to do. No idea what I wanted to be. And so I tried everything that you could imagine. And, and while I was trying things, I went to university so I, I tried the military. I wanted to fly. I thought that would be cool. That didn't quite work out. So then I got my commercial pilot's license in real life. Hmm. But I got it at the worst time for a job in Canadian aviation history. Um, I, I thought I'd like to run my own business. So I built houses for a little while and, and, and took courses over here to run a business and did things over here and, and all, sorts of, all sorts of stuff. I really did try everything. Um, but... While I was trying stuff, I stayed at university, and uh, at the end of eight years, I ended up highly educated in <laughs> a lot of areas that became eventually quite useless to me. Um, <laughs> but um, but I, I did have an idea at the end of those eight years of, of trying things and a little bit of soul searching. I had, I had some ideas about, you know, what I might do. Um, you know, for a living, even though I couldn't, t I couldn't name the job. Um, I was just really lucky in that um, uh, there was this brand new thing that everybody was talking about and people were sort of getting into. It was called the internet. Mm. And, um, and I was talking to a buddy who had started a software company as everybody and their dog was trying to do in those days. And So is this mid-80s, late-80s, or...? Well, we're now into... We're in early 90s oh, now. Okay. This is probably 92. Mm. Um, and, um, and he said, well, you know, why don't you come and try and do this what you want to do, but online. And I said, oh, okay. I didn't know anything. Um, uh, so the, the climax to this story is actually day one. The, 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 I said, yeah, I'll come and work with you. I went into the office. Um, uh, I phone rang. I picked it up. I said, hello. And 30 minutes later, uh, I had sold this person on the phone, a, a website design. We were a web, ended up, we were a web and a internet access company. Yes. We'll build your website. Signed up opened up a turned on a computer and I went online for the first time in my life. Okay. Trial by fire. <laughs> Trial by fire. <laughs> so nobody knew what they were doing, so it was fine. Mm. And, and so years later, I mean that's that's what I do professionally now is web and software. And the name of your company and, uh, is Deep Blue Creative. Um, no one will ever have heard of it. No? Uh, no, I don't think so. We we're very niche. We do very weird sort of niche stuff. Um, the only thing that I would say that uh, we've done in our history that uh, uh, is very sports related and I really enjoy it. I still do some now is um, we used to uh, d do digital productions of college sports newspapers in the United States. So mm. uh, for most of the 2000s, if you read the uh, the um, uh, Notre Dame um, football publication, it was um, we had put it online and and we still do that now with a lot of textbooks for uh, in the U.S., uh, particularly um uh, textbooks for universities that have an open access policy. So we do a lot of digitizing of, of textbooks uh, for, for people and you can 
find that, that kind of stuff online. And, and the rest is all nerdy. Mm. It's not exciting to anybody, really. <laughs> Deep Blue Creative. Deep Blue Creative. Out of Abbotsford. Yeah. Yeah. Then there's the triathlon in the room. So segue yeah. from being, um, you started off working for the software company, web design. Obviously, that flourished for you in, in a pretty good way. Mm-hmm. How did you discover this crazy three-sport head thing? Well, I tell you, um, I, I, I knew at an early age that I was going to fit right in because you're all crazy. <laughs> and um, uh, I was rehabbing from the soccer injury, and I, and, and I was swimming cycling and running for fitness uh, and that's how I was keeping in shape I'm uh, I love to bike and um, bought myself a little uh, $400 uh, I think it was what they would call it a time machine back then uh, it was the Timex time machine or something like Ooh. that I can't remember the brand name but okay $400 from Caps Bicycles in 1986 mm-hmm. and um and I rented a wetsuit and some, you know, somebody said to me, why don't you try one of these triathlon things? You're doing those things. And I, I thought, oh yeah. yeah. But I, I was, I was just like every newbie out there. Mm. I had no idea what I was doing. So Nobody I registered did. for two races, mm-hmm. subsequent weekends. My first race was the Crescent Beach Triathlon. And then a week later, the Vancouver International Triathlon. And I had no idea that you shouldn't do that. Um, <laughs> it was just that I saw these two races. I, I ended and then I get to the uh, first race, the Crescent Beach Triathlon, and this is an ocean swim. An ocean swim, and and everybody's got sharks, wetsuits, <laughs> and <laughs> and they're putting they're greasing up and and everything. And I and and I, and I was just the rookie of all rookies. And um, you know, even as a, as fit as I was, it was a three hour. It was three hours to finish my first Olympic. And uh, I was bleeding from everywhere. I chafed. <laughs> I think it took. Uh, I think it took a month for my nipples oh, to fully recover. <laughs> but a week later, cotton t-shirt. Come on, cotton t-shirt. <laughs> no dry fit or uh, stuff back then. No, no. no technical gear back then. Uh, but a week later, I got hooked on triathlon, and I got hooked because I'm at the VIT, and I'm, I've racked my bike on the same rack. As um, uh, so, all the pros, and so there's 1,200 people that are going to do this event. That so, day. for our listeners, we're going back to the mid 80s, and this is a triathlon, and it's getting huge numbers. I mean, 1,200 people to race in the triathlon today. I mean, that's big news, and this is this is happening back in back in the mid 80s for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and some of the biggest names in the world are there. There's Scott Tinley is there. Um, oh, I, I'm, I'm, who was the world champion at the time? Um, Mark Allen, are you thinking? Yeah, like, or somebody yeah, else? Actually, Mark, so Mark Allen won the day. Mm. And, and so um, it, it's, it, I was going to get around to him because he had bought this uh, new $10,000 Huffy bike, or Huffy was sponsoring him. And, and so the media was all around him. But what struck me is that he's 15 feet away from me. And I'm on the same course. I'm doing the same race. It's a 1,200-person mass start that, that day. I don't think they wave started that day. Helicopters with the TV cameras are flying around. Um, the Vancouver International Triathlon at the time was considered one of the top five races in the world to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, beautiful event and running around Stanley Park and riding around UBC. Beautiful, beautiful course. And uh, and the world champion is 15 feet away. Mm-hmm. And there's no sport that you get to do that, yeah. you know. And and I'm 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 a year removed from even signing autographs over a fence myself, 
and you know no soccer player could come out and play with me right no. even at even at that you know you know michael jordan doesn't play pickup on <laughs> the local backup so this was a really unique thing to me and i thought you know if there's ever a sport where you really get to compare mano y mano mm -hmm. um this was a sport and so that really appealed to my ego and my testosterone and uh -huh. my competitive nature and yeah. and all of that and even though i was horrible that day and still you had didn't recovered you from didn't beat before, mark allen at least in the swim no 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 <laughs> in in those days uh you know you set your goals pretty low and i and i i wasn't even finishing uh the bike before they were done the race hello i'm zach newfeld and this is between the ears I was out for a long ride the other day, coming back from White Rock on Zero Avenue, here in beautiful British Columbia, when something happened. I got tired after the hills coming back into Abbotsford, and I glanced over at gra the grass on the side of the road and felt a thought pop in and say, why don't you just sit down on the side of the road in that nice grass and just chill out? Overcoming this thought is all about mental toughness. Endurance sports requires us to push past the times when we are wondering why aren't we just at home in the backyard sipping some nice hot coffee? Rejecting these thoughts is a key part of mental toughness. James Lohr, a researcher, describes mental toughness as a psychological edge with seven dimensions. He says that these are self-confidence, attention control, minimizing negative energy, increasing positive energy, maintaining motivation levels, attitude control, and visual imagery control. In the coming weeks, I'll be going a little bit deeper into these concepts. Laura did a study with a specific question. Do athletes and non-athletes differ in the amount of mental toughness they have? Researchers found a huge difference with athletes having five times as much mental toughness. Also, the length of the athletic practice was associated with how much mental toughness these people had. So, us as athletes can work on our mental toughness, but how do we get it? An example described by Sports Psychology Today is a phenomenon that occurs in difficult moments. It's when people leave their bodies, so to speak. This happens when the pain grows and the hurt begins and people start to shut themselves off from the stimulus of the pain. They simply send out signals to their body to keep going in spite of it. We can do this by focusing on things other than cycling like the road as a target up ahead. If you can learn to do this, it's another way to deal with the hurt in endurance sports. To get started on the intention dimension of mental toughness, let's focus on breathing. Practice focusing on breathing at different difficulties during the workout. With a full controlled pace of breaths, such that the air breathed deeply in and then exhaled. And another thing that you can do is stay relaxed yet strong. We do this by keeping our arms and our shoulders loose and relaxed so we're not wasting energy in the areas of our body that we're not using, primarily for
author of Sports Psychology for Cyclists, says to practice mental toughness by doing tempo workouts, which are also called fast-paced, threshold, or comfortable hard workouts. We can apply strategies like breathing and relaxing during these hard tempo workouts. Think about these strategies as you work out. That's breathing and tension releasing. He recommends doing harder and harder efforts until you reach the point where you have to focus on your breathing or relaxing, making it a habit. Mental toughness is that thing that overcomes the hurt, fatigue, and the doubt we experience during training and racing. We found out that in studies, athletes have more mental toughness. We also talked about some of the dimensions of mental toughness and some of the strategies for getting better. I'll unpack some more dimensions of mental toughness as time goes on that will help us amp our performance with some more mental toughness strategies. I'll unpack more dimensions of mental toughness and how to amp up our performance with some more mental toughness strategies in the coming Between the Ears segments. These will help us to overcome the suffering that sports and life will dish out so we can stand on the podium victoriously. So stay tuned. I'm Zach Neufeld, bringing us Between the Ears. Thanks for listening. And that's it for another edition of FitSpeak, the Fraser Valley's only wellness, fitness, and endurance sports podcast. FitSpeak is brought to you by Wentings in Mission. Your Wentings word of the week is carbon. FitSpeak is also brought to you by TriJoy, the spirit of multi-sport. Take your first step to the finish line by starting with TriJoy. See the link at the bottom of this page to get in touch and get going. Join us next time when we relocate co-host Kevin Watt and have him drop by for his Instagram shoutouts. Zach Newfeld will also be here for another segment of Between the Ears, and I'll have your upcoming event schedule. For all of us here at FitSpeak, I'm Kevin Hines. Thanks for listening. <laughs>